Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I can hear a noise that sounds like a fridge, actually. Uh, that <laughs> might be a fridge if you're in the kitchen. Well, no, I'm, in a, I'm actually in a recording. <laughs> it's a, a recording fridge on <laughs> Yes. <laughs> It's just downloading uh, some milk. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show. Back-to-back wins is what awaits us for this episode of the Blue Moon podcast. And thanks to a few Champions League draws in games that didn't really matter, it's been a while since we've been able to say that. Leicester proved to be a stubborn opponent for Pep Guardiola's side, but a superb free kick from Kevin De Bruyne was enough for the three points from the King Power. We'll be using that as an excuse to look at some great City free kicks of the past later in the show. Then it was an emphatic second half against Sevilla as the youngsters impressed when City turned a 1-0 deficit into a 3-1 win to round off the Champions League group. We'll discuss that display and we'll hear from our EDS expert Sean Blinkhorn later on about one of the players who wasn't involved on Wednesday nights but who has been attracting attention. All that to come, so let's get on with things. I'm David Mooney. I am joined by City fan Horticultura Supremo and Master Poet Chris Higginbottom. <laughs> wow, that's quite, a, quite an introduction. It I is. I wondered who you were talking about today, someone name at the end. <laughs> well, we're going to get we're going to get some of your poetry later on, so stick around for that. Um, and he's alongside the independent <laughs> Northern football reporter Mark Critchley. Mark, I haven't got any sort of in- interested intro no, for you, I'm afraid. Really unspectacular in comparison. I'm quite disappointed, but yeah, oh well, this is the job all. title, I guess. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so I do apologise. Um, let's start with. Uh, I, w- I want to kind of touch on. Um, City breaking down stubborn opposition, Mark, to start with, because uh, Leicester and Sevilla posed two slightly different challenges, but they were both kind of fairly defensive in their setups. Uh, I mean, Leicester had effectively two banks of five. Um, Is there much that City can do differently to what they did to be able to make it a bit more interesting and get in a bit more? I think, like, we, we saw it in both games, you're right, that there was, um, you know, low blocks. We, we've seen this, like, how, how long has Guardiola been here now? Like, seven years. He's come up enough up against enough low blocks in his time. And um, I think it's one of those things that crops up whenever a performance is slightly off or it takes a bit long to find a breakthrough. But then we actually forget most of the times when, let's face it, most teams have to set up against City in this way because they're just simply not as good. And more often than not, City find a way through. And so as a matter of what they need to do differently, I think, you know, if you ask Guardiola, you would say, well, whenever this topic comes up, he always mentions one thing, and that's width. Yeah. And, um, you know, if, as long as if you can make the space, you can't really stretch an opposition up the pitch if they, if they really want to be compressed, but you can stretch them across it. And if you can get that space in between players and in between the defence, then then that's where you that's where you find ways in and reach the goal. And, um, you know, that that is one key thing. But th- there's other things as well. Like, I always think um, that, that kind of overload that you always see down the right-hand side where 
the winger will often go to the byline and and maybe De Bruyne or whoever's playing in that right-hand central midfield, they'll they'll combine and overload one full-back and bring it in. It's pretty simple stuff, really. But it's stuff that Guardiola has had to perfect because even before he was at City, he's come up, up against teams who've felt that this is the best way of trying to get a result against them. Yeah, I mean, Chris, with, with there being no space in behind Leicester, it's it, it's really hard. I mean, you always think of that classic City goal is get to the byline, cut it across and, and find the... Not necessarily the tapping, but the finish from inside the box. Um, if, if there's no space in behind, you just can't do that. And uh, and, I, and I guess like I was particularly frustrated in that first half with Leicester. The number of times the ball seemed to be aimlessly punted into the box. Yeah, we went through. We've been through various periods of um, crossing the ball in in more kind of hope than than expectation. And you know, if Harland isn't there at the moment, it's even less likely to to yield the desired result. Um, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, the teams like most teams like Leicester, they will they will set up like that, and they know that they know what we're going to do. We're quite patient. It's not that we necessarily come out punching or we're really kind of calm and collected. It's a combination of both, really, isn't it? We we have the punches to to provide, and we just tease and tease and tease until we can actually deliver a blow. But it gets frustrating, especially away from home. And um, Rogers came out after the game and was saying that their game plan was to kind of contain us and frustrate us for as long as possible. And if the situation was still in their favour, i.e. nil-nil on 70 <laughs> minutes, then to try, try and switch it up a bit. And with the crowd in an away stadium and the frustration that your own players feel after more than an hour of maybe not um, getting anywhere, then that, that, you know, that can work, which is why it's a tactic that was that was employed. And um, we did. It, it was looking likely to take a piece of magic like De Bruyne provided to break the deadlock, wasn't it? Um, I was fully expecting a draw out of that, so I was absolutely delighted with the three points. Yeah, it's kind of a, a bonus goal, really, wasn't it? If you're not getting mm. anywhere, you suddenly pop a free kick in from 30 yards. It's uh, it is it is a little bit of, a bit of a bonus. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the other side of all of this, Mark, I guess as well is. If if the city players themselves are getting frustrated, then I guess that that kind of increases the chances of them making a mistake and Leicester being able to hit on the counter attack. That's true. I hadn't really thought of it from that perspective, but like I'm saying, I think that they themselves will have been through enough of these games over the past few years to to understand that there are times when it won't go against you. But um, Guardiola's kind of processes and his methods and his tactics have always found a way um, more often than not, and. Look, like you've got to be wary to that, and we've we've spoken for years and listened to this podcast for years. I know that counter attacks are a huge like um, boogeyman, if you like, for, for for fans and supporters. And as journalists, everyone's always looking out for them. But there's been a level of control over that for the last few seasons. I think, especially you know, you remember that behind closed doors season about midway through that, um, it felt like the, I don't know Guardiola might have changed certain things. We saw more of a double pivot sometimes. I feel like I'm in my tactics truck here going really yeah. deep. Just, just, I mean, you can just say it as it was. It was boring as fuck. You just say it. Like <laughs> <that>. <laughs> no, but um, it was. It was, yeah. And, and even reliving it is boring as fuck as well. But um, but no, I think I think they found a level. What I'm saying is I think they found a level of control. And I think not just not just tactically, but also like psychologically, that they know now that if, if things aren't going their way in the game, if things are going wrong, it only really takes one moment uh, or something like De Bruyne pulled out the bag the other day, which certainly wasn't boring, um, something like that to to, uh, to go their way. And suddenly you've, you're looking at quite a dominant performance and, and three points. 
So I don't think it's a huge issue, but no, um, there has been little wrinkles in the last few games that, yeah, perhaps need ironing out. Yeah, I have found the narrative of uh, this whole City of Boring thing really, really fascinating. Given like, if you want, if you want boring football from City, all you have to go back two or three years, and you've got it behind closed doors. It was terrible for that first half of the season. Um, Chris, uh, when Sevilla came along, um, I kind of feel like the frustration against in the first half, especially, was was more of City's own making. Um, maybe, maybe tactically rather than selection, because it was. Again, Mark mentioned it before, you, you know, Guardiola talks all about width and then he had two inverted wingers. I think it can be a combination of the of the two in terms of you change the tactics and you change the selection, it's going to knock the rhythm out a bit. I don't know whether he would have stuck with it a bit longer if we hadn't conceded because obviously it's something of a dead rubber that game, isn't it? And he likes to see how systems perform for future reference. Uh, and also World Cup coming up pretty soon. You don't want to necessarily, you know, if Grealish, for instance, um, got taken off and then put Rodri on, it's going to change the tactics, but it also gives that player a bit of a rest. And not that he's necessarily thinking of England's, uh, you know, but but his players and the games that they've got coming up, a bit of rotation, knocks the stuffing out a bit, change the tactics. It's Again, it's all about rhythm, isn't it? And if you're changing players and changing the tactics, it all, all contributes to a, a bit of a, a lull in terms of picking up where you left off. Yeah. Well, let's have a listen to what Guardiola thought was the difference between the two halves. This is what he said after the game. We, we were there, but uh, we struggled to attack, especially because we played, I, I think, right foot in the left and uh, left foot in the right and you go inside and with five in the back it's more difficult in the second half with Sergio with left and Rico on right and more people you know call and feel a second half we're more close to Julian we felt from the minute one the second half we have more presence in the in the in the final third because against 5-4-1 defend deep is difficult what was the thinking behind the change um, obviously you talk about the two halves there Jack Grealish coming off at half-time. Was there any interview well, Jack, issue? Jack, Jack was the best player in the first half. The best one. The more direct. Uh, but he played a tough, a real, real tough game in, in the last game. We need him We need him for the next game. And we need a special left foot in left, the right foot in right being wider to make this cross and stick these crosses. And he had more people close to Julian and that helped us to, to be more effective in the final third. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. So the difference, uh, Mark, in the second half was obviously the, the fullbacks wider. Um, what do you make of, of what Guardiola said there? I mean, first off, it sounds like uh, Grealish might be starting against Fulham, but we'll come to that a bit later on. Um, and, uh, and kind of second off, it's... It, it, City do feel a little bit hamstrung when, they, when they've got these, when they have inverted wingers, don't they? Um, wingers or wing backs? Um, well, well, both, yeah. Well, both. Well, I think, yeah. Again, like it's dependent on the game. I could. I looked at it last night. Looked at the lineup, and I, it made sense to me that that they would be playing inverted when when they when you saw that once once it kicked off because you had Palmer and Foden in the middle basically, didn't you? And that is quite an attacking central midfielder. Two players that aren't always absolute naturals or familiar to that position. So it felt like you're going to need a bit of support in there for Gundogan. And so that made sense. But I think he's right in what he says in that they were really struggling to actually get chances. And if you think like at the end of that first half, um, you know, 
Rafa Mur, who scores the goal from the corner, but he was causing loads of problems just by getting into the spaces that those fullbacks were were leaving behind them. Um, so it made sense to change it. And like as soon as as soon as the goal went in and Rodri started warming up, you just knew that was going to happen, and you were going to see something that we're it's a little bit more familiar, uh, perhaps a, a bit of a change with a, with a, with him and him and Gundogan for the second half. So it made sense to me, but and I think you saw the improvement in the second half because. There was just, like you say, it's more space and, and Foden and Palmer a bit closer to Alvarez. Uh, it's a little bit more unpredictable. Again, it's that width again in that forward line that's that's pushing pushing Sevilla's defence apart. And so it all, I, I think it was, again, smart. We, we come to expect it for Guardiola to read a game well and to, and to <laughs> people might disagree with substitutions sometimes, but, <laughs> but, but for him to, to work out things in games. And I think that was just another example of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Julian Alvarez, Chris, because uh, he's played two games uh, this week and he's not really had much. He's not had much of a run in the team. He's played a lot of games, but no, maybe not uh, maybe not a lot of minutes. Um, one real chance against Leicester scored uh, with, I think it was two assists against Sevilla. Um, how do you think mm. he's doing at the moment? I think he's doing at least as well as can be expected. Um, love him to bits. You, you can't help but admire his, his work ethic. Um and he's got skill to to go with it. Against Leicester, he looked frustrated. He was running about like, uh, well, I don't know, across between Carl Griffiths and Paul Dickoff, but like had an urgent message to deliver, but wasn't quite sure who to who to give it to. He was just scurrying <laughs> everywhere, and uh, he looked frustrated, but as if he understood when he got taken off. His attitude seems fantastic. First half against Sevilla, again a lot of um, a lot of running, not many touches. Uh, for his efforts and then second half carried on training and playing the way he's supposed to and it just shows you get your rewards the way he took the ball on the, the keeper was an absolute delight uh, That just that little touch with his right foot that I sort of had to I blinked when he did it I was like did he yeah, well, yeah he just had another little touch there and the keeper completely went sold him a kipper and slammed it in with uh, a bit of finesse absolutely loved it well pleased for him and you can see what a team player is as well with his assists he's just uh yeah, I mean, if Haaland gets injured, then we're, we're should, we should be pretty much covered. I'm interested in that, though, Mark, because I was wondering if up until this week he'd had a slow start and in kind of finding his feet, or if I'm just kind of judging him against how well Haaland's done. Yeah, I, I mean, before this game, I saw a tweet from uh, Sai at the, at the MEN, um, obviously uh, regular on the programme, um, and he, he it was that... Alvarez had played 16 of City's 18 games this season and it absolutely blew my mind because it just doesn't feel like that. I didn't um, know. It's mental. No, no. Um, and Pep was asked about it in the in a press conference, I think last week before Leicester, I think it was. And, you know, when you play that amount of games, you would think, you know, a certain amount of goals will come with it. But it's it's minutes, isn't it? It's minutes. It's the opportunities that he's had. He's mostly been coming off the bench. I thought um, you were going to say Pep was surprised for one. For some <laughs> no, he has no. really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he was aware of that one. But, yeah, um, good. That's good. To <laughs> but yeah, I think so. It's that, isn't it? It's it's, it's um, the quality of opportunity. I think that he's been given. Um, I was looking at some stats before we came on, and like it's a bit. Like, I hate getting decimal points out on podcasts. I don't think it really works. But he's <laughs> he scored. He scored 0.6 goals for every 90 minutes that he's played. That's only behind Haaland. So that's basically 0.6 per night. It's about it's about more than a goal every two games, isn't it? Yeah. And so if he'd started 17 games rather than just appeared in 17 and he'd scored like nine goals, we'd think that's a very good start, wouldn't we, I think? And so I think this is just a little bit of perspective, really. You know, I'm sure this comparison has been made before, but it feels a bit like a similar dynamic that 
you have for years with Aguero and Jesus, where you're constantly comparing the two of them. Um, and you know, but it's, it's, if anything, it's even more unfair this time because he's up against an absolute freak in in Erling Haaland. So, I think just a little bit more patience needs to be shown. And last night, look, it was an incre- great performance, like the two assists as well as the goal, and just how I was impressed with just how kind of unselfish and hardworking he is, and just how involved he is in the game as well. Like, like particularly last night, um, mm. he's really coming on in in those aspects as well. So, I think let's just you know show a little bit of patience, and uh, I think he's going to come good. Yeah, yeah, there was a line from him this week, Chris. That uh, he he basically said something like, "If I um if I make twenty runs and nineteen of them are ignored, but one of them isn't, then it's worth making all 20. And it just kind of, kind of like you like that sort of attitude speaks to fans, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, he's like I say, work ethic is second to none. But it comes back down to rhythm again, doesn't it? Um, the more he plays, you know, the more. Minutes he accumulates in one go. I'm not phrasing this very well. He needs solid chunks of playing time to to find that rhythm with the team and and contribute more effectively, which is only to be expected. Comparisons to Haaland, obviously unfair, yeah. Yeah, um, let's touch on uh, the young players as well, Mark. Because uh, I mean, we'll start with the with, with the goal scorer in uh, Rico Lewis. Um, uh, you can't ask for a better Champions League first start, can you? Really, <laughs> not really not or first career start or whatever like I mean just I think everybody went in there last night thinking it was just going to be a dead rubber I think and you, you know why, why are we trenching through the rain for this but I, that was worth it for me um even when the tram broke down I still <laughs> I couldn't get home afterwards I still thought you know it was worth coming along just to see his face after he scored the goal because um it was it was just like a look of kind of disbelief and just ecstasy I just I absolutely loved his celebration and the finish itself was like of a veteran centre forward, I thought, rather than a kid playing his first game at full, uh, first start at fullback. So um, yeah, look, it was I, instinctive, I think, wasn't it? It looked like he'd done it before. Yeah, it's like yeah. just natural to him. Yeah, and you know, I think that off a move like that. that will be part of what um, Pep and, and and the coaches that the club have seen in him as well. That he isn't just a player who's who's there to fill one role. That he can contribute in different phases of the game. And and you saw that just even how he was alert to. Um, just, when obviously when Tellez kind of gives the ball away with just an absolutely bizarre pass um, across goal, and he's he's already knowing that Alvarez is going to pick that up and play him in, you know that that sort of thing is pretty rare in a seventeen-year-old, and you know I, I think he's going to walk away from that. I really and the best bit of the night for me, I don't know if you agree, was when obviously he got substituted and he was forced to go off the other side and have to, yeah. <laughs> have to take a, an ovation from like three of the four stands. I thought that was brilliant. So yeah, just a just a perfect night for him, really. Yeah, um, let's have a listen to uh, Guardiola speaking after the game about him because he was uh, waxing lyrical about Rico Lewis. Uh, this is what he said. Yeah, he played really good. The first half more inside, the second wider. And uh, that's his from Julian was amazing and the finishing as well. So 70 years old, but he's so clever, so intelligent. He's a typical guy that you say something, he understands everything. He doesn't need to practice more because he knows exactly what happened during during the game. Pep, when, you, when you're giving a 17-year-old a start in your team, given the brilliant players you have. What, what have you got to think about? Well, we see him every day. We, we, we don't give presents here. So not just because he's a Manchester City fan, because he's the Fund Academy you are going to play. Here you have to earn it. But we see him since the day one in the United States of America, in a pre-season when he played against a few minutes against Bayern Munich, for example. And the training sessions always is, oh, this guy has something special. Defensively, is aggressive enough. Uh, of course, he have a lot of margin to improve, but with the ball, is when playing inside is so good, and outside he showed today 
in the final third, one against one, good crosses, good finishing. So, yeah, it's, it's good. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. There we have it. Uh, Guardiola, Enrico, Lewis. Chris, uh, youngest ever Champions League player to score on their first start, beating Karim Benzema. Uh, wasn't phased by Guardiola's tactical change, you know, at half time. He, he played both roles particularly well. Uh, 17 years old, literally half my age. It's fucking sickening, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How dare he? How dare he? Who do you think he is? Bang out of order. Yeah. No, he's just, it was fantastic. And you could see the confidence that the goal gave him as well. Um, it was taking the piss a bit <laughs> you know <laughs> t- towards the closing stages out on that right wing he was thinking well I can I can do it I can do it I can do it I can do anything I'm going to try this it just works I'm going to try this that's worked as well he just went from strength to strength taking people on cutting back inside putting his foot on the ball waiting for support fending people off getting fouled getting up getting on with it absolutely a delight to see um, so yeah no pressure for his next few performances yeah. Um, just on the other lads that uh, that played as well, Mark, uh, Cole Palmer was a little bit quiet on his return. How do you think he did? Yeah, I thought, you know, like I said before, it's like, it was that central midfield. I know he's played there a bit, but, um, you know, I think recently a lot of people have been asking for him to get a chance and it's wanted to see more of him on the right wing, really. Um, but he had that shot, like it was very early, wasn't it? Like the second minute. And mm. it really wasn't that far away from going in. And if that goes just in, over that one, wasn't it? just over, yeah, yeah. And the, I, I thought, like, if if that the way I just thought the way he anticipated, the way he took, like, it was just really well worked and very unlucky not to go in. And if that if that obviously if he scores that, it changes the whole complexion of the game, really. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, I I didn't see it because I was still taking my cottage pie out of the oven. So, um, <laughs> right. I, yeah, I, I it, hope was, it was worth it. Yeah, it was a good cottage pie. So there we go. <laughs> Hardcore fan moment there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and Josh Wilson Esbrand came on. Uh, Chris, how do you think he did for the final few minutes? I thought he did pretty well. Um, to be fair, that kind of scenario, it's not a big, uh, it's not the most accurate gauge of how someone's progressing. It's hard to make an impact in that time. And when you're against a team who are pretty much resigned to going out or to losing the game uh, or both, then yeah, I, I, th- I thought he did okay. I like him, but I, I'm interested to see him when he plays against um, more difficult opposition. Cause I think, I think he's done well when he's played, but there's certain times where, I've thought, oh, he looks really confident, like, you know, ahead of his years um, on all the rest of it. And then suddenly he'll get found out now and again. And I know that can happen because it's part of a part of a journey and a learning curve as a young player. But yeah, I'd like to see him involved in terms of how he's going to do against better opposition than Sevilla. It's hard to judge really uh, on last night. But yeah, he did, he did okay. I thought yeah. um, Gomez did well and I really love his left foot. I think he's got a real good... Uh, Good ball on him. Yeah, I find it really uh, odd to hear Guardiola talking about Sergio and it not being Aguero. I can't, just can't get my head around that at the moment. <laughs> Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
Let's finish the first part of the show with uh, a word on Kevin De Bruyne. We've got uh, 20-odd minutes into the show and we've barely mentioned him and he scored a great goal at the weekend. Um, he's possibly the perfect player for these sorts of games, isn't he, uh, Mark, given that how just how he finds space between the lines. There, there was no space between Leicester's lines and yet he still found it at times. And then, you know, the game changes completely when he comes on against Sevilla. No, absolutely. Like, um, last yeah, last night with the, with the Sevilla game, obviously... So his so him putting his like taking his tracksuit off and coming on, and then I was like busy writing my report or whatever. And I'll be honest, most of the time you just head down like for the last fifteen minutes or whatever. Um, and then I just knew there was a few seconds later, or well, a few minutes later to be precise. Um, there was just this like gasp and this roar, and then you look up and Julian Alvarez is clean through. And I had no idea what had happened, but once the goal goes in, you just think, oh, that'll be De Bruyne, won't it? <laughs> so look at the TV screen and then it's showing Alvarez, but then it cuts to De Bruyne like 30 yards away, like <laughs> walking over, trying, like breathing quite heavily, thinking, oh, right, I've done it again. Like he just, he just does that. He just does that. And like, I mean, I know that, I know that Pep's been a little bit critical of his performances this season or uh, of late at least. Um, but I just feel like he's, he is still dropping in moments that are up there with his absolute best. You know that he, even if he isn't quite at his peak top level, maybe um, we're still getting little sprinkles of how he can just change a game in an instant. And last night was one of them. Yeah, I'll be honest, Chris. Um, I genuinely, when he put that ball down for the free kick at Leicester, I genuinely thought, well, this isn't going in. And then that happened. Well. On the contrary, I um, <laughs> actually predicted it before it happened. I didn't know. I just had a feeling it might be Kevin, but I was saying we need a direct free kicker in range, and uh, yeah, so it proved. So you, you can thank me for that. But um, last night's assist, I was just cooing over Alvarez. It didn't even really register with me to consider praising De Bruyne. It was just such a standard world-class ball. That you just come to expect it. I mean, you take it for granted that in that position he's just gonna just gonna carve it open and put it on a plate for someone, and he just does it. He's so good at it. It's yeah. just so natural. It's a joy to see. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't go over the top with it, does he? He doesn't like um, like the free kick. He just kind of stood there and let everyone pick him up. <laughs> yeah, if I if I had that talent, I'd be fucking everywhere on that pitch. Yeah, I'd probably be injured celebrating uh, if I did something like that. Yeah, but, I'd be, yeah, I'd be at first somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just, uh, yeah, he's world class. Pleasure to have him on board. It's, it's almost unfair. I bet Leicester are thinking like we've played really well here. We've contained you, and you've got Kevin De Bruyne doing that. It's not really fair. It's just, uh, but that's what you know splits the top teams from the the also's. Yeah, don't give don't give free kicks away thirty yards from goal. That'd be my advice. Um, but yeah. here we are. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne's free kick on Saturday could go down as one of the best that City fans have ever seen. To see what it's up against, we asked some of the Blue Moon podcast regulars to tell us about their favourite City free kick goals. Hi, it's Adam from statcity.co.uk. Uh, my favourite City free kick is obviously the Alano one against Newcastle in 2007. I'm Dan Burke and my favourite City free kick is Michael Tarnatz against Blackburn in August 2003. Just the way the camera angle is perfect from just behind the way you can see it rifle into the top corner of Shea Given's net. I think the secret ingredient to this free kick was the element of surprise. Uh, City had signed Tarnat from Bayern Munich that summer, but we uh, we knew very little about him at the time, and this was only his third appearance for the club. Uh, we, we played Blackburn at Ewood Park in the, the third game of the season. Uh, we get a free kick. 
after only two or three minutes and it's it's miles out from goal. Um, and Tarnock steps up and I think everyone in the grounds expects him to, to loft it into the box, aiming for somebody's head for a knockdown or something like that. And I just think, what a way to open your City scoring account with a perfect free kick, limited run up, smashed it into the top corner. Wheels away in celebration, what more could you ask for? Hi, my name's Chris Higginbottom and the free kick I've chosen to remember was scored by Javier Garrido uh, against Wolves away in 2009 in a 3-0 win. He takes this really long Roberto Carlos-esque run-up uh, which actually starts on the edge of the centre circle and then he whacks it left-footed with a with a wicked amount of swerve which it kind of takes it inside the wall but then whips it back towards the corner and it was uh, it was just so brilliantly shocking from from such an unexpected source and I, I think uh, I think Tarnat scored one or two more free kicks during his time at City but this one was by far the best. The free kick scored by Garrido was um, predicted by me because my dad used to watch City's pretty much every training session at Carrington before they made that more difficult. Firstly, by putting big fences up and then moving it all to Sports City. But anyway, he'd been watching Garrido practice these free kicks and mentioned to me just how good he was at them. So um, I was at the game at, at Wolves and when Tevez and Garrido were standing over the free kick, everyone and his dog thought it was going to be Tevez was going to whack it. Hello, this is Kieran Murray. One of my favourite ever City free kicks was from Kevin De Bruyne against Cardiff City in the FA Cup, January 2018. There was a couple of guys behind me actually in the stand saying as much. And I turned around and said something along the lines of, uh, nah, I'm telling you, Garrido's going to bury this, lads. And they just gave a kind of puzzled laugh. So when it went in, as you can imagine, I was absolutely mobbed, if you can be mobbed by two people. We had got a free kick just outside the box. De Bruyne did one of those things that you so rarely see, but always wish to see. Um, he hit it underneath the wall. Hi, I'm Bob Tool. One of my favourite City free kicks is Carlos Tevez's versus Stoke um, in 2011. The finished kind of looked almost like humorous because it just went straight as an arrow into the net because the keeper had left so much of the net open, um, which was protected by the wall. But the wall jumped, De Bruyne hit it underneath with perfect timing and it was just rifled straight into the bottom corner, which nobody in the ground was expecting. It was a few days after we'd won the FA Cup, our first trophy in a generation, um, and it was a real celebratory mood around the Etihad. The free kick made it 3-0 on the night and it was from so far out, I think about 30 to 35 yards out, um, and I didn't really expect him to score. Hi, I'm Richard Burns. And my favourite City free kick goal was scored by Richard Dunn against West Bromwich Albion in a game at the Hawthorns. The reason it's my favourite City free kick goal is because it wasn't a goal at all. The goal was disallowed ludicrously. He hit it with so much power and so much curl. The ball went about two metres wide of the post before curling back in to go in. It was one of the best free kicks I've ever seen um, and the closest thing um, I've seen to Roberto Carlos's famous Brazil free kick, which had some insane curl on it. The wall was in place and there were two, maybe three players stood over it and Richard Dunn just sort of casually hanging round and obviously not somebody that you expect to be striking a free kick by sort of normal convention. And just out of absolutely nowhere, he walks up and just absolutely lamps one into the keeper's top right corner. And while celebrating it, he suddenly realised that the goal was disallowed 
I think Graham Paul said that he hadn't blown his whistle and then there was some controversy when uh, on Sky cameras I think it looked like he, he actually might have done it was all very strange and a, a huge injustice and I actually and this is a bit, of a bit of a bonus for you I don't normally do this but I wrote a little poem to um, clean the, the, the moment so here it is I was in the know about Garrido as my dad had watched him train so I confidently called him taking and scoring a free kick at Wolves away Everyone around me was howling. You must be joking, mate. No way. You won't even take it, let alone bang. And then it flew. They raved in my ear how good it was, but I already knew. With 69 minutes on the clock, I was as C-3PO among the Ewoks. And when asked what would be my next trick, I dispensed some made-up lottery numbers and told them I could heal the sick. Hi, this is Andy Morrison, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. So that was a look at some of uh, City's best free kicks. And uh, Chris, thank you very much for the unexpected poem. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd uh, chuck that one in there just as a curveball to surprise people. Yeah, it, uh, it certainly surprised me. I mean, you sent it in late anyway and apologised for that. And I went, yeah, but the reason I've been late, I've been writing a poem about that goal. So there we go. <laughs> no, it was already written ages ago. It was, it was late because of uh, the hospitalisation uh, escapade, which occurred last week, which is all fine now. Yeah, so uh, I don't feel bad about that at all now that you've just said that on the podcast, but here we are. Um, time to look ahead to uh, the game with Fulham. Uh, it's uh, We're joined by Sammy James from the Fulhamish podcast. Hi, Sammy. Hi guys, how you doing? Not too bad, thanks. I was going to ask you the same, but I think the answer's pretty good, isn't it? 13 games played, two points off the top six, going all right? <laughs> yeah, it is going all right. Um, it's been a fantastic season so far. Um, you know, looking forward to Saturday and another nice, easy win for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, w- what are you like this season? Because I, I just just a quick look at your stats. I mean, uh, second top scorers outside of the top six behind Liverpool, uh, but the second worst defence outside the bottom three behind Bournemouth. And like again, there's a Liverpool Bournemouth. There was a nine nil in there, so take that out, and you'd be the you'd be the top on both. Yeah, uh, I think you've pretty much summed it up. Um, we're a bit of a basket case, um, but fun basket case and I'd rather be that than what we were the last time we came up we only scored nine goals at uh, Craven Cottage all season eclipsing your guys record of the lowest (laughs) amount of goals uh, ever scored at home in a season uh, in the Premier League so yeah we're fun to watch Um, we've got bags of goals in us our defence is a little bit porous although has got slightly better um, in recent weeks Um, we go out there um, and we try to attack teams and try um, to, you know, work out different ways of, of breaking down certain teams. It's often uh, very intense. Um, you know, I think we're fully taking advantage of uh, teams that have got to play a lot of midweek games at the moment, whereas we're able to have uh, full weeks to rest up. Um, yeah, it's been a really, really fun season. Marco's doing a brilliant job and we've got a team full of hungry players each with points to prove in their own different ways. So that is certainly helping us. The motivation is there. And I think we've got the leadership from the top. So I I think we're on course for a good season. Of course, it could go spectacularly backwards. And I think this game for us is just one of those where actually 
can we just keep things respectable? Because I think if it blows up in our faces and we do lose a eight, nine nil and anything's possible, I think when you go to the Etihad, um, the confidence might be dented from that. And, and that wouldn't be uh, a, a great thing for us. I think if we can just kind of get through this weekend and um, either pick up a surprise or just lose valiantly, then I think that confidence will, will stay amongst the squad. Yeah, um, we, we were talking earlier on in the show about City facing different systems and, and, and the way that, that other teams play against City. Uh, how are you expecting Fulham to do it? There's, I mean, Leicester last week sat really deep and really tried to cut out space. And I remember the FA Cup last season, you had a real go at City to try and to try and press them a bit. So uh, what, what do you expect Marco Silva will do this weekend? I think the FA Cup will be a bit of a blueprint for, again, what you'll try and see. I do think Marco Silva will at times try and go for it and um it's a tri- it is a tricky one because obviously he's going to be respectful of the fact that it's Manchester City and you know the city that we face this season if Haaland is back um is a very different man city to the one we did face last year but it's just not in Marco Silva's nature to go there and park the bus and the fact that we have as many points as we do kind of allows this to be a bit more of a pressure-free hit. Whilst, okay, even if we were needing the points, I don't think we'd be expecting anything from this game. It might not be so funny if we got absolutely spanked, if we were already getting a, a lot of defeats. Whereas that's not the case at the moment. I think it does allow the team just to go there and enjoy it, a bit like we did back in January in the FA Cup. And that was a good result in lots of ways that that FA cup game, we came out of that with a lot of confidence. The fact that we took the lead at the Etihad, the fact that it was just a couple of quick fire goals that undid us. We probably should have got a couple more goals. We missed a couple of good chances in that game. So I I would expect something similar. One thing that I think we will definitely try and take advantage of and the way that Fulham has changed their style of play this season. We're not afraid to go direct. Um, We have done it a lot this season to, you know, quite, um, good results. Um, so I think there'll be a lot of direct balls to Mitrovic and trying to take part of that vulnerability that you guys do have when uh, when teams go long. And we, we have the players capable of doing it. Yeah. Um, Chris, just looking at, at City's recent games, I mean, we talked about Leicester and Sevilla earlier. Um, do you prefer an opposition that, that has a bit of a go than one that sits deep? Because the, the one that sits deep can be a really frustrating watch, as we said before. But the one that, that has a go, I mean, Brighton made me very nervous, for instance. Yeah. I mean, I prefer teams that really have a go, but do it really poorly, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so uh, if you can sort that one out for us, Sammy. <laughs> but no, that wasn't, a reference to, that wasn't a reference to Fulham. That, wasn't, that was not uh, to denigrate your, your team. Um, but no, in all seriousness, 100% prefer a more open game of football than the low block and the bus parking um, that we often see against City. Um, it's just more of an entertaining spectacle, isn't it? Um, I think we... it's. Haaland's not going to be fit. What what are we saying about that? Is he still unlikely? Do we know? I have absolutely no idea. And and since we record this on a Thursday, it's a nice day before Guardiola's press conference where he'll give a really cryptic answer anyway. So yeah, uh, yeah, we true, won't find out anything true. anyway. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was hoping for some ITK stuff, but okay, you know, fair yeah. enough. I guess that's my job. Uh, no, well, I don't hint, know. hint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, we don't. Uh, what the point I was making was if Haaland's there. It gives us options to to go along as well, and we can open the game up in a bit more of a dynamic style than just the the pretty passing patterns that we 
have employed over the last year or so on a, on a constant basis. Definitely prefer an open game. Please attack us. If you score, then, you know, the pressure's on then. And if we're good enough, we'll, we'll win the game anyway. So, yeah, always prefer uh, teams that don't sit back. It's yeah. just horrible, isn't it, watching that week in, week out. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, mean, it's I don't want to grumble too much. It's not bad watching <laughs> us, really. But. Yeah, um, given uh, the the position in the table, Mark City two points off the top. Um, how vital is it, do you think, to, to to just win those two Premier League games before the World Cup? In a like, not even a, a good performance way. It's just like get the points on the board. Doesn't matter how. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think finishing this little first period, this is such a weird season being split into two. Um, people are, it's almost like narratives are going to be built around how teams played in the first half compared to the second half. But I think, if anything, it's it's not how you go into it, it's how you come out of it. You know, that's going to be the big difference in the um, in the end that that's going to be that's going to that is what is going to feel like that's a great answer. unique. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I think, and also like. I, a lot of people have got a lot of theories about how it will affect different teams. Obviously, it's quite relevant with City with Haaland not going. Um, is he just going to lay waste to everybody once we come back in January? But I think it's a bit of an open question. I think, you know, um, if you think about the World Cup, there's there's 32 teams. There's like only, what is it, like 26-man squads, maybe only like 15 players are going to play. Half of those teams are going to be out after three games. It's it's a bit weird, I think. Like, There's only going to be a handful of players that are really going to go the distance and perhaps feel it in their legs a little bit more uh, than others. So it, it, we're just stepping into the unknown with it. I think, obviously, you want to put yourself in the best possible position before you before you go out there. And I expect, you know, two home fixtures. I, I, I mean, sorry, Sammy, but I, I, I think City will probably will, you know, Put, uh, you, you're looking at probably six points on the board and, and really going into a, uh, the, the break in a, in a strong position. Yeah, and worst case scenario, if they can get six points on the board, worst case scenario is the two points off the top when everything restarts. So uh, that's not a bad place to be on the restart. Um, Sammy, you uh, you talked about um, the defence being a bit porous a bit earlier on. Uh, has that been your major weakness this season or have you got anything that, that you're particularly concerned about? No, I think the defence um, has been the, the major problem. We've also suffered a lot of injuries this year and we've literally just had another announced in the last hour, which is uh, Niskins Cabano, who's played a lot of games for us on the wing, um, is now going to be out for several months with, an, uh, with a ruptured Achilles, um, which is a real blow. Because... knee then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite, it was very quick. I will give you that. Um, so... Um, yeah, I think that's been a big problem for us. Um, but we 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 have enough um, other wingers to to cope with the Neeskins injury. I think we're more gutted for Neeskins than necessarily we are for the prospects of the team. Um, the defense has chopped and changed a lot, though. Um, we had uh, injuries to both our fullbacks, Anthony Robinson, who's vital for us on the left way on the left at uh, left back. Uh, Kenny Tete is just coming back from injury. He's our right back, and then. We've not exactly known who our strongest uh, centre-back pairing is. We have three kind of worthy candidates in Issa Diop, who we signed from West Ham, uh, the, the veteran uh, Tim Ream, who continues to surprise with his performances, uh, and then Tosin Adrabaya, who obviously you guys know well. Um, it was Ream and Tosin for the first part of the season and whilst they started okay it kind of got shakier and shakier and shakier and there was kind of an inevitability that Diop had to come in but it, who was it for and it seems that Tosin is actually what the one that's been dropped um, 
and you know Tosin just it seems a bit harsh because I, I do like Tosin as a defender but this Diop Ream partnership does seem to be working and we've kept two clean sheets in our last three so the poorest defense has slightly fixed itself now obviously I'm not expecting a clean sheet this weekend and um, they're gonna have a they're gonna have a tricky uh they're gonna have a tricky 90 minutes but that has been our main weakness but it has seemed to have uh fixed itself a little bit and with players coming back from injury um that that that's got a little bit better but certainly this team has much more of an emphasis on attacking than defending we don't really go into games looking for nil nils obviously that's what we had last time out but you know we had 24 shots on goal i think that was just a bit of wasteful finishing rather than uh than than poor attacking or or, or lack of ambition yeah i've just uh, just looked up tim ream's age um he's he's uh, basically six weeks uh, older than me uh, which really like it, it, it gives me a little bit of hope that I'm uh, that I'm not over the hill given that I was uh, I was lamenting a 17 year old scoring for City in the Champions League earlier in the show so uh, so yeah it's uh, it's 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 not bad that he's still uh, still playing in the Premier League so I mean, I'll, uh, I'll give him that um Mitrovic let's talk Mitrovic because um I, I had a look at his numbers He's like a little mini Haaland this season, you know. Um, goals in eight of the 12 games that he's played in. He's only behind Haaland and Kane for goals this season. He's doing all right, isn't he? He's doing very much all right. Um, and uh, I think I think we've put to bed the, oh, he can only do it in the Championship, can't do it in the Premier League um, <laughs> debate. I think we've possibly put that to rest. Um, yeah, um, he has been electric this season. It's been a bit weird. He got injured um, playing for Serbia in the Nations League um, and then had a couple of games out. And then since he's actually come back, he hasn't looked that sharp his um finishing was very off against everton and um even despite him actually not looking fit he's managed three goals in four games it's the kind of player that he is um you know one of those from the penalty spots um and, and and a couple other from corners um so he's always dangerous if he's on the pitch i think he'll be right up for it um this this weekend but he's one of our handful of players who we're now starting to wonder well will he have one eye on the World Cup? Now, also, we don't have many going to the World Cup as you guys do, but Mitrovic is one of them, and Mitrovic is a is a starter for Serbia, and this is his World Cup, really. If there's one World Cup that Mitrovic is going to star in and, and prove to the world the kind of striker he is, then it's this one, realistically. Um, so it's it's I'm a little bit concerned that actually we may not get full-bodied Mitrovic Um this weekend and uh he he's probably the one that I'm, I'm just wondering is he actually going to you know go into tackles 100 percent? is he going to put his body on the line um because he knows that the serbia world cup is, is is just around the corner and it would be devastating for him to get injured so interesting one really he's kind of coming back from fitful fitness he'll obviously want to prove a point uh, on a big arena he loves the big stage but um yeah i, I think he's not quite the mitrovic that we saw at the start of the season who was just on fire and looked like he was going to score in every single match and he was he was terrorizing um defenses the way that he uh i i'm convinced he's the reason behind virgil van dyke's poor form uh that opening <laughs> game of the season i'm convinced that mitrovic has lived in his head rent free and uh he, he's um, become a shadow of the man ever since that game at craven cottage so yeah, uh, yeah make of that what you will fine fine by us mate fine by us 
You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Get a dollop of City nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Chris, when you when you hear about a player like Mitrovic coming up against City, um, how how do you do? I mean, first off, that that idea that uh, that players are, are nervous about the World Cup, I did have to laugh the minute that uh, uh, Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Yuri Tielemans were going at each other. You know, hell for leather in that yeah. of the game. Like you're, like you're playing in the same team in a few weeks. Just like leave it out, lads. Um, but uh, but in terms of, of of kind of dealing with Mitrovic. Um, you'd fancy City centre-backs to, to have a right go at it. All of them seem quite aggressive in these sorts of duels, don't they? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good contest. He's very, he's bullish, isn't he? He's very direct. He's strong. He likes uh, he likes the physicality of the game. He's wiser and older now in terms of Premier League. He's been here before. And although, yeah, there were question marks over his Premier League pedigree uh, as to whether he could just do it in the, in the lower league that, I think he's put that to bed, like um, Sammy was saying. I'm always interested to see Mitrovic actually because he's a bit, he's a, he's a weird one, and he sometimes he looks like a world beater, and other other times he looks like a cow's ass with a handful of gravel. But hopefully we'll get the the latter version. Um, I thought it was a bit of a slight on his character there, Sammy, wasn't it? Saying he's going to have one eye on the World Cup and won't won't try and perform <laughs> against City. Hope he's not listening to this. <laughs> be honest mate I know how many people listen to this the, the chances of him listening to it are really quite slim given the numbers that we get <laughs> you never know. say that you don't know that <laughs> you can never be sure yeah. uh, Mark in terms of City and, and centre-backs um, they've got more centre-backs than, than they know what to do with at the moment Akanji's probably not going to make it uh, with injury right now but uh, they're going to need one of them to cover on one of the full-back positions as well how do you see him setting up for this is it Cancelo back to the left and maybe Stones to the right yeah, potentially, and then I, I imagine Diaz. I don't, you think? Uh, would you think? And then uh, Diaz and Stones together. I think. I don't know. I, I'm, Do you I think Pep knows his best too? Um, I don't think I he think, needs to. I don't know if he no, needs to. No, yeah. yeah, I don't think he. I think he's got Fair. different. And and given the amount of injuries that there have been and the amount that he's had to do it on the fly, I think it's almost suited him to an extent to be able to. To, to experiment and to put different people in different positions. I think Akanji at right back has worked relatively well. There's maybe been a few signs in recent weeks that it's not a long-term option, but you know, I think he's almost, he's almost enjoyed that. So, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I think so, but you'd just be looking to match Mitrovic's physicality really. And I think one thing that like watching him this season, and it was definitely, definitely very pronounced in that, in that first game against Liverpool was, where he got Trent on that far post uh, cross, you know, and he he was he was up there beating people at the far post, and he just kind of turns up there, and it was something that like just thinking about last night's game that that Rafa Mir, he was just pop, popping up in pockets again, and they get you know the goal comes from him just peeling off and and being unmarked. So, yeah, I think it's something you'd look to try and match him physically, and how glad he'll do that. Maybe Laporte and Diaz, maybe, but then I, they started last night, so it's tough. I think um, 
yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult. But I, I, I think, look, as long as you try and keep him further away from goal um, with a bit of a higher line and, you know, you've, as long as you've got that protection in behind with a bit of pace, then then you can you should be able to keep him quiet. But the problem is he's just so... Everything through, that Fulham do flows through him and ends up... He's the he's the focal point, isn't he? I think it's looks horrible there. to play against him at eight yeah. to have to play yeah. against him. Yeah. yeah, so as long as you keep him quiet, I think you've got a chance of keeping Fulham quiet. But then, you know, I think as as we'll come on to in our predictions, I think there's a chance that he might come away with something, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sammy, have you got any other... Uh, well, I mean, we talked extensively there about Mitrovic. Are there any other players that are bang in form right now? Uh, Jao Polinia, um, because I have been joking all season on our podcast that um, I think he got um, lost on the way to Man City and um, somehow he ended up at Fulham. <laughs> um, he is unbelievable. Um, he is one of the best players that I've ever seen at Craven Cottage. And I don't say that sparingly. Um, he's our kind of um, rock uh, in the middle of uh, defensive midfield. And um, he's just everywhere. Um, he will uh, spend the entire game just running around, putting out fires, um, tackling, being a nuisance, being a pain in the ass, And then he wins the ball back. And then he generally does a beautiful 30, 40 yard pass to get us up the pitch. Um, he's going to be absolutely crucial uh, to us getting anything out of the game on, on Saturday. And yeah, he's destined for, for such great things. He's come in and transformed our team. Um, so yeah, he's definitely the one to, to look out for. And um, Anthony Robinson as well. Left back is having a brilliant season. Um, Super direct, really, really fast. Um, I, I trust him against any right winger in the league just because I just honestly think that there's no one that can outpace him. Um, he is just absolutely rapid and he's uh, really picked up his game uh, this season. So, yeah, they're the two to look out for. Definitely Jao Polinia, though. He is, um, he is world class. Good. Well, uh, we'll get on to some predictions shortly. First, though, uh, Mark, I just want a quick word on the uh, City got a League Cup game uh, coming up in the midweek after this game as well. Um, where do you think the, the priorities lie for Guardiola in the League Cup this season? Because if they win this game, then their season restarts a, a kind of four or five days earlier as well. Yeah, the the scheduling of the next round after this one, it's absolutely insane. It's two days after the World Cup final. I think, like, what? <laughs> who's going to want to watch football, especially a League Cup fifth round or whatever it is then? I don't know. But, yeah, look, I think the every season, um, by now we should know that we, we tend to think of the, the League Cup as, as like a slightly lower priority. And, of course, like, no matter what the, no matter what Pep says, no matter what the players say, you can tell from the lineups and it's obviously an opportunity to rotate, but um, just the success that City have had over it during Guardiola's time at the club proves that it is just as much as a, of a target as any other competition. And I don't know what it is about Carabao, whether he likes the mixed berry combo pack or whatever. <laughs> or I don't know. Whatever, he, whatever, he, whatever he's got him so interested in Carabao, but he, he loves it. It's something that I've always really wanted to write a piece about, actually. Just have why do you why... Yeah, have you tasted it? Um, I did have it actually at, um, I was weirdly, I did an Antonio Conte's unveiling as Chelsea manager. They were sponsored by Carabao that season. There was free Carabao um, for everybody in attendance. And I did drink some. <laughs> and, and, uh, That's why I was there. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, didn't, it didn't sit that well with me. I'll just say that. But yeah. so I'm not, I'm not particularly a fan, but obviously Pep's got some kind of uh, predilection for it. So this is, this is a weird question to ask off the back of that. What colour is it? I've never seen it. What colour is it? I, I always imagine it's, I, I imagine it's green, but I don't know different why. Different colours? What, like stripey? Well, different, different <laughs> flavours. Oh, you mean the actual liquid? I yeah, think yeah. The, liquid, the liquid was kind of translucent, <laughs> transparent, yeah. Uh, uh, right. 
Why and is it not the skull of like a longhorn cow as the emblem? Like what? That's what? Well, Carabao in its. Um, I can't remember which country. It's, it's it's somewhere. I think in South Southeast Asia, but Carabao means bull. I think. So bull. That, right. I don't know why oh, so it's like a Red dead. Bull ripoff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dead yeah. Bull. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, that took a turn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, uh, just kind of bringing us wildly back to the point, Chris. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Dead Bull specialist. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, sorry, yeah. Pun central. Um, what sort of team are you, are you hoping to see for for Chelsea? Given uh, that, I guess with it being, um, you know one game before the the final game uh, before the break. Rhythm is not really that important at this stage for Guardiola. What hoping or expecting? I mean, I'm hoping to see a strong team. And to be honest, I'm expecting to see a strong team as well because obviously Chelsea, no mugs. Um, it's it's difficult. I, I don't know is the honest answer. But I can't believe it. Yeah, I'll go now. But it depends. I think a lot of it depends on um, the next game against Fulham. See how that goes. Um, might depend on injuries. I can only confidently assume that he's going to pick a really strong lineup. Um, takes the competition pretty seriously. Obviously, the opposition uh, mean that you can't put out too inexperienced a team. You would hope, although Pep is not exactly uh, on the realms of throwing out a, a surprising team selection. Right, so let's get some predictions on the board. We've raised £305 for the Man City fans' food bank support on the charity bet this season so far. Uh, they're collecting for the Trussell Trust to help Manchester Central Food Bank support people living in food poverty in Greater Manchester. They'll be outside the ground in the usual spot under the bridge near Asda between 12.30 and 2.30pm on Saturday, so please drop them a donation if you can. We've each got a £10 correct score single on City's games from William Hill for this one. Um, let's start with you, Mark. What are you going for for this one, for uh, Fulham? For Fulham, um, I've I thought I was going pr- being pretty out there, but I've gone five one um, simply because I'm sorry, Sammy, but I just it, it's that it's that defense thing with Fulham. I think like they're just such an open team and they will give it a go, and I just expect that City will punish them on punish them basically. But they'll still with Mitrovic and and the space that they'll be on the break for Fulham. I think and that direct play that Sammy was talking about. I think they will get something out of it. So yeah, I've gone for five one. A bit of a bit of a bloodbath, but apologies. Five one is eighteen to one and one hundred and eighty pounds if you're right. It says something that that's our lowest odds for this uh, for this game. So, uh, Sammy, <laughs> what are you going for for this? <laughs> um, I've foolishly gone for one all, um, just because I really want charities to get loads of money. Uh, basically, um, no, I, 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 I've I've got to come on here and be optimistic. I agree. Um, with that, that Fulham will go out there and I do expect us to get something. Um, but I've just gone for the one, one in the hope rather than expectation that we might just hold on, that we might just dig in, get a goal, make it really, really difficult. And, you know, inevitably city will get at least one. I mean, you're going to five, one is a much more realistic scoreline. Let's be honest, but I've just gone with one, one because I've got a funny feeling that these games before the world cup are just really hard to predict. And if there was ever a team or a time for us to go and do something amazing it probably would be now you've played on Wednesday in the Champions League so if there was a time for me to be optimistic about a trip to City then then this has to be it and there's doubts about Haaland as well so look 
not expecting a result, but slightly believing that, yeah, if there was ever a chance, it would be now. And, uh, and a one-all draw would be like we've won the World Cup. So, uh, yeah, we'd be delighted. Yeah, listen, stranger things have happened. 20 to 1, though, 200 quid if you're right. Um, and uh, finishes off, Chris, what have you gone for? <laughs> well, uh, I thought Mark was a bit mean, giving you only the, the one goal there. And uh, I think it's a very humble prediction of yourself, 200 at one goal against us. Um, that said... <laughs> I I also I must have it last night I did go for five one myself and when I realised Mark had uh, cheekily taken it I uh, I've gone for six two. Six two is uh, I mean I hope it comes true because uh, it'll take us past a grand for this season on the charity bet so far <laughs> uh, seventy to one so uh, seven hundred quid if you're right. Um, let's quickly rattle through some uh, Chelsea predictions as well. I've gone for two uh, one City that's seven to one and seventy quid. Uh, Mark, what are you having? Three one. 3-1 City is uh, 10 to 1 and £100. Chris? Chelsea, I think we're going to win 3-2. 3-2 is 20 to 1 and £200 if you're right. 900 quid if both of your predictions come in this week, right? You've, uh, if, uh, you'll, you'll have done the charity wonders there. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about gambling responsibly, take a look at begamblerware.org. Uh, Sammy James from Fulhamish, thank you very much for being part of the show today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Sammy James from Fulhamish. Uh, now, talk about timing. There were a few people a little bit disappointed that Carlos Borges didn't make the matchday squad for the dead rubber with Sevilla this week. And that's exactly the player that I've been speaking to our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, about. Although this interview was done ahead of Wednesday's game. This is what he had to say. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about Carlos Borges. Um, I'm going with Borges. Um, it might be Borges. I'm not sure. I've not heard it said much yet. We'll find out um, soon, hopefully. We'll find out soon enough, yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about him. Uh, I wanted to talk about what I'd liked, the things I've seen, um, what I think he need, might need to work on. Um, I think his, his progress this season has been pretty much unavoidable. Um, if you you know if you follow it on Twitter or any social media or anything like that, he will have been constantly in your feed, scoring goals, um, catching the eye for well, the entirety of the season so far. Um, so just, just to give a little background, he had a really good scholarship year a couple of years ago, um, but then missed a lot of last season, which can happen with young players, as you know, as we know. Um, so he kind of slipped under the radar, especially especially for me. You see players come in and they might be, you know, they'll have a lot of talent and they'll have a lot of raw energy and what have you. And then they get injured and it could go either way from there. Um, but as it turns out, he's come back firing this season and he, and he really does have a lot going for him. You watch him play and straight away the work rate is there, which is important. So he'll, it'll be like watching um, a forward for the first team who'll, who'll press, and I think press smartly. Uh, I'll come into that. Um, he's a quick, fiery, uh, a flying winger, and he can pick a pass as well as a cross. Um, and he's scoring the goals as well. I was going to say the the goals thing is something that you really can't avoid on social media at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, and and I'd always tend to be wary of that when it comes to young players because you know scoring goals at youth level isn't isn't the be all and end all. Um, so, but if you, if you, you know, if you take a minute to actually watch him, um, 
he doesn't tend to shoot long um and he's he's finishing to be fair his finishing doesn't look like it's at at a very top level at the moment but he still gets the goals and where the goals are coming as well is important because um in in years past players when they'll they'll, they'll be performing in the premier league too and they'll be scoring loads of goals and i'm not really convinced of the uh, the level of importance of that competition but actually his Premier League 2 performances have been kind of so-so and he's getting all these goals and his assists from what I can see in like the uh, UEFA Youth League and he's getting it, getting it coming up against the seniors in the the league trophy so it's, that's that's good in a way um, but yeah like I say he, he, um, his finishing isn't quite at the top level yet but he'll still get the goals um, it, whether that's because he's you know he's he works the chances. He works the positions. He, you know, he's a smart player. His work rate gets in there. Um, I don't know if he was ever to step up to the first team. Obviously, there's one particular player that he could he could spend a lot of time with. Who, who might, of, yeah, who can help with that sort of uh, yeah. With finishing. <laughs> yeah. So if you know if he'd ever get there, because um, I'm not really seeing. Like, obviously, you see another thing with social media is you see um, training images, and I'm not seeing Carlos involved much in the first team picture. I don't think he's been on the bench or anything yet. Anyway, yeah. I mean, one thing I might see, and this might be me, um, you know, seeing something that isn't there or seeing something that I want to see, but his, his patience with the press just seems really, um, really intelligent to me. He's, he's one of those players who will charge after you and he's so quick that he'll get to, you know, get to a player and he'll, he'll make the tackles. But he also seems to know tactically when to hold yeah, it's not it's not headless it. chicken running around. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly, it's yeah. it's that very much. I am I'm going to press now because now is when we'll do yeah, the most now damage. Is the sort of optimal, thing. Yeah. Now is the optimal time tactically, and I'm going to. And yeah, I have seen him win the ball back a few on quite a few occasions this year already. So maybe he has that awareness as well. It's just something that I've I've liked when I've watched him uh, more recently. Well, Sean, I mean, uh, we always talk about prospects and opportunities for for young players in the first team. Um, do you see any of that coming up for in the next few weeks in in the first half of the season? Yeah, it, it feels like fewer opportunities than ever um, for players to play in this. In this, I think that there's other priorities for squad rest, isn't there? Especially consider how we've we've been particularly at fullback, um, and. Uh, and the amount I've talked about Rico Lewis over the last couple of years, it's it's quite obvious that I I want him to get a chance um in these in those sorts of dead rubbers if they are to appear this year as well. And I think he'd probably be more higher up the list. Obviously he's higher up the list because he's already obviously tra- already training and playing with the first team squad. He's already played in the Champions League this season. He's already played in the Champions League, yeah. So um so so this is a so this is this is the thing. As usual, we're trying to second guess the manager. But on the face of it, as he earned his chance, and I think he has. I think he's. I think he's been more than good enough. And he's not just, you know, like I was alluding to, he's not just scoring the goals. He looks good enough. He looks a quality player because the goals aren't enough on their own at, at youth level. Um, he, even like, he forms partnerships with players. He's, um, Adidai Mabude, who is is kind of his his um, opposite wing partner. He's found a really good partnership with him. Um, Mabude, to be fair as well, is another player who could be worth uh, giving a chance, but I think Carlos is just ahead at the moment. Um, so as usual, we're, we're scratching around looking for opportunities, but 
Uh, I've been very impressed with Carlos this year. I've been very impressed with his progress, his fight back from the injury that he suffered last season. And I'm hoping somewhere there's a there's an opportunity to get him in and uh, and give him a go at some point during this season. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. That was our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, talking to me about Carlos Borges. Uh, we're going to finish with some listener questions. Get in touch on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. There's a form there, just fill it in. Um, Jerry M has been in touch on Twitter, uh, simply to say, uh, don't you just know that we're drawing PSG on Monday? Uh, Champions League draw is coming up on uh, on Monday. Uh, City's possible opponents, Club Bruges, Inter Milan, Frankfurt, AC Milan, RB Leipzig and PSG, because they finished uh, second in their group. Um, Jamie Jackson from the Guardian asked Guardiola about the draw uh, after the game on Wednesday night. Uh, here's how it went. Just a quick one on the draw. Do you care who you, who you draw in the next round? We'll be there. Do you care though? Who, who? We'll be there. PSG? Maybe? We will be there. We'll be there. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you, guys. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. There we have it. So, uh, Clark's close to his chest, Chris. <laughs> Slug for tops, that, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> God. Yeah, I mean, we will be there. I, mean, I don't really... It, I don't know. It's, it, it's pointless speculating for me. I think that's the sentiment um, that, that Pep was expressing, like, you know, don't care. Whoever it is, we'll be there. I believe fully in the integrity and fairness of the selection system. So, uh, yeah take whoever comes i'm not bothered bring it on yeah um if it's if it, if it makes anybody feel better mark uh the uh, the maths of the situation i don't really understand how this works but it must be because it's a weighted draw um uh-huh. city are most likely to draw into milan and uh, least likely to draw bruges or psg um there's not a lot in it inter milan is about 18.9 percent bruges and psg was 13.9 percent but you know more likely to uh, to avoid psg than not no, yeah. Um, what did I tell you about decimal points that they just don't work on podcasts? Eighteen point nine percent. Okay, right. Yeah, um, ne- yeah. nearly nineteen <laughs> percent, <laughs> which, which is nearly one in five. <laughs> right. Okay. That's nice. All right. Now we're getting it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we can talk about warm balls and stuff if you want, but I think that um, you know, there isn't isn't the, the PSG national Khalifa? He's head of the ECA now, isn't he? And he's best mates with UEFA, so. They're not going to give him sit. So, you know, it's kind of like the immovable <laughs> object and the unstoppable force, isn't it? If you believe in both. So, but yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think City would be confident even if they did get PSG. I think, you know, um, they're just the, the, the best team in Europe at the minute by my, I know that's a big claim on this podcast to round off at the end, but <laughs> I think, I think that, yeah, that you can't be, you can't be intimidated by anybody coming up. It's just, um, it's just a draw and you'll fancy yourselves against anyone. Yeah, um, I just my my only thing is that I would like a different opposition. So I'd like an opposition that they've not played either recently mm. or uh, or um, at all. So uh, Frankfurt would be nice. Uh, AC Milan, uh, Inter AC Milan, Milan would be interesting, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's like a spider in the bath, isn't it? They're uh, more scared of us than we are of them. I don't know. I'm very scared of the spider in the bath, mate. <laughs> well, it shouldn't yeah. be. This is the point. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much to my guests, to Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much for having me. And Mark Richley. Thanks, mate. Cheers. There's a clip of this week's Patreon show coming up. I'll be back again next week, so I'll see you then. (laughs) 
That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I remember there was two boys in the playground. And I walked in and they just got everyone just to stare at me. (laughs) That was really dramatic. And then they came over and went, how much to pay the referee then? And I remember being (laughs) so, so angry because I'd spent... I mean, I, I don't know if you can remember, but it was such like a weird thing in the news the next day because City players were spotted having a drink with Mark Howty or something. There was like a rumor, yeah. rumors were going yeah. around, oh, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. was going off, and um, and they were just like, "You just cheats, you just cheats." And then, do you remember the knockoff City shop outside Main Road? Yeah, I had like a full pencil kit from there, so I had like my ruler, my my pencils, my pens, everything came from that shop, and they threw it all out the window. But I tell you what, one of them got in touch with me in 2000, uh, uh, 2012. After QPR? <laughs> and, yeah, just messaged me. I'd not spoken to him for years. It came up like on Facebook, just a message just saying, fair play. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least, yeah, at least they can laugh about it all these years on. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>